0: This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com. The only place to be in your pop culture world.
1: Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Saw so that made the hit parade. <laughs> Guys like me, we had it made. Those, Those were the, the days. days. Didn't need no welfare state. Everybody was. T.R.O. was so and great Those were the days And you knew where you were <laughs> Girls were girls and men were men <laughs> Mister, <laughs> we <laughs> could use the mayor mayor like like a man like David Cooper again <laughs> People seem to be content <laughs> Fifty dollars paid the rent Freaks were in a circus tent. Moms <laughs> <pounds laughs> by the day. Take
2: a little Sunday spin. <laughs> Father
1: watched the Dodgers win. Have
2: yourself a dandy day that, that costs cost you, you under, under a pin. Hair was short and skirts were long. Smith hey, really sold song I don't know just what went wrong. <laughs> the dead.
3: Rest in peace to one of the best to ever do it, Norman Lear. Due to some language in this episode, listener discretion is advised. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is it was a thing on TV. Punisher!
2: Control! me hey, before I change my mind! I give you Super
4: Train! Oh, Episode 435, submission number 488. That's my line. That's my line aired on CBS from August 9th, 1980 to December of 1981 for an undetermined amount of episodes.
5: Now, I should let you know, in the chronology of the podcast, it is between The David Letterman Show, which we covered back in episode 68, and To Tell the Truth 80, which we covered back in episode 139. David Letterman Show premiered on June 23rd of 1980. To Tell the Truth, Edie premiered on September 8th, 1980, and this premiered in August of 1980.
4: And unfortunately, I cannot tell you how many crock blocks this episode lasts because per the extent of our research, there are at least two episodes that exist, but we can't find listings for all the other ones.
5: Well, we can just determine, hey, it lasted a year and a half. It probably lasted at least one crock block. All right, Johnny, let's hear it. Oh, I can go now. Yes. Oh, all right. Wait, you're just gonna play
2: a recording, right?
4: Yes. Yes.
0: education, yet he has taken an old car, a bicycle pump, and baby buggy, and built his own airplane. He's a wacky inventor. That's his line. This man is banned from almost every casino in Vegas because he's won over a million dollars at blackjack. Tonight he'll risk $25,000 of his own money in a high-stakes blackjack game. He's a professional gambler. That's his line. This man is teaching these students how to throw punches, fall off horses, and leap off buildings. Tonight, he'll give our own Kerry Millerick a crash course in how to be a stuntman. He's a Hollywood stunt school instructor. That's his line. You will meet
2: these people and more tonight on
0: Good evening. Welcome to That's My Line.
4: Before we get started, we should let everybody know that this episode was plotted well in advance of the events of late August of earlier this year. This was to be released on the day before Bob Barker would have turned 100. Sadly, he... Died after living quite the full life at the age of 99 back in August. So, not only is this one of our centennial episodes, it will serve as one of our memorial episodes. And this is actually quite an interesting one because it's one of our episodes that sort of meets where two stories collide. The first story is an actor's strike in 1980. The 1980 actor's strike between July and October of 1980 involved roughly 67,000 workers from the Screen Actors Guild and the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. This was before the two guilds merged. It was caused by a breakdown in labor contract negotiations between those two unions negotiating for a joint contract and representatives of film studios, television networks, and other independent producers, with the primary point of contention regarded as residuals from home media, such as video cassettes and pay television. It was the longest actor strike to that time. Of course, you know, that record has since been broken. On the other hand, we have sort of the birth of. User-generated reality television. And by that I mean we have to go back to 1979. Before we talk about the show we're talking about today, we have to talk about that show. And that show happens to be a show that was centered around real people. It aired on NBC from 1979 to 1984. And it was called Real People.
5: But also, on ABC, you had a show of people doing incredible things that were so absolutely incredible. It was so amazing. And that show, of course, was called That's
4: Incredible. They weren't necessarily new ideas, these two shows. Because if you remember, back in the golden age of television, there was a show called You Asked For It, where viewers would ask to see stuff from somewhere, and, well, the producers are only too happy to oblige. It was cheap, easy, readily made television. And because of the actor strike, it made a bit of a comeback in the 80s. With real people on NBC, and that's incredible on ABC, CBS, they had nothing. But they weren't about to let that stop them from trying this whole user-generated content. So they decided to go back to the well for something that was similar to, but not really an old format that pretty much put them on the map. And that would be a panel show called What's My Line? The brainchild of Mark Goodson, Bill Todman, and Gil Bates, What's My Line originally ran from 1950 to 1967, which used celebrity panelists to question contestants on what their odd line of work is the majority of the contestants were general public however there was one weekly celebrity mystery guest for which the panelists were blindfolded that formula landed the show on many a list of the longest running primetime network television game shows and one of the longest running television formats in all of television history so CBS decided to team up with the creative forces of Mark Goodson, Bill Todman, and, of course, Mark's son, Jonathan, who would be pretty much overseeing the Goodson-Todman empire at this time, to bring the show back with a few changes. First of all, no panel. Second of all, no game. Third of all, no celebrities. And fourth of all, we need to change the title. And so, they came up with, that's my line. Like Johnny said in the open, that's my line was a deep dive of sorts into the wild, wacky, and often unique ways that America makes a living. For example, on the one whole episode that is available on YouTube, we have, amongst other people, a cadre of inventors a celebrity lookalike agent, a professional gambler, and a Hollywood stunt school instructor.
5: Now, wait a minute. An agent to celebrity lookalikes? Now, is he a lookalike of a Hollywood agent?
4: No, he was as legit an agent of Hollywood as one would look like.
5: Who would be, like, the most famous Hollywood agent in 1980? Was Mike Ovitz an agent back in 1980?
4: Probably, but then again, I've never seen what he looks like.
5: You didn't see him in, like, the the, uh, the late shift when he was, like, played by, like, uh, what's-his-face, Treat Williams?
4: I don't remember that far back. It's been a while since I've seen that movie.
5: Okay, Mike Ovitz was working... CAA back in the mid-70s. There
4: you go. So he was indeed working. We have the format in place. That's incredible. Real people, they set the standard. We'll get to all of this weird stuff in a moment because I did my research. You helped. Mike is helping. But for this sort of show, you need somebody dynamic who can work on the fly, who's energetic, who has great stage presence, And because this is a summer replacement show, it would help immensely if he's already on the team. Enter Bob Barker, who by now is entering his ninth season as host of The Price is Right.
5: Remember when that was such a big deal If like a show on a network was on for like nine years and be like, wow, nine years, man, that's a long time. I doubt it, it's going to go much further than that.
4: Yeah, it's not going to go much further. I mean, who's going to watch this show for more than nine years? Aiding him would be LA-based newscasters Suzanne Childs and T.U. Leak. And producer Carrie Milrick, who, among other things, would actually go out into the field and be a human guinea pig one of his uh, assignments for that's my line would be to cover a hollywood stunt school run by legendary stunt artist kim kahena
5: i love this list of credits that you've shown me on the imdb page here
4: soylent green the six million dollar man airport 1975 earthquake The Apple Dumpling Gang, Quincy M.E., Smokey and the Bandit, Smokey and the Bandit 2.
5: Did he do Smokey and the Bandit Port 3? No. Oh, damn it. That's probably why it sucks so much, aside from Burt Reynolds not being in it.
4: I didn't even know there was a Smokey and the Bandit 3 until you just brought it up.
5: Oh, Smokey is the Bandit in Port 3. Excuse me? Yes, Jackie Gleason is the Bandit in Port 3. But hold on a second. He did the stunts for Passenger 57 with mm-hmm. Wesley Snipes and Matinee with John Goodman. I got to say, very underrated movie, Matinee.
4: And also, and this is where I would remember him, he was the stunt director and stunt coordinator for Nickelodeon Guts. Do, do, do you have it? Good.
6: Ooh.
5: Okay. So, let's note, we didn't have Mike here for the beginning of the show. Technical difficulties, people. But, Mike, you're back here. So, you have information about how the show came about?
3: Well, I have capsules for what was on each show. Not necessarily how it came about. From what I've seen and read, it came about because, basically, the other two networks outside of ABC... Wanted something like that's incredible. So that's why NBC had real people. That's why CBS tried this. And well, real people ran for about three, four seasons till 84. And that's incredible. Ran, I want to say to like 86 or 87.
5: Well, I think it got canceled, but then remember they revived it as incredible Sunday for like two seasons
3: The big thing is that the other two networks, they had something in that really early reality genre that lasted more than two seasons, more than essentially a three-week series in summer of 1980, and then briefly in 1981.
5: Now, hold on, Mike. Do you know who they brought back for Incredible Sunday?
3: I do, and I don't know if I should actually acknowledge this, because... I know exactly what you're going to say. They brought back. Uh, they brought back Kathy Lee Crosby. I know.
5: No, they didn't. They didn't bring back Kathy Lee Crosby. You no, know they brought back
3: Fran Tarkenton. No. One more time, Mike. This is like Beetlejuice. If I say it a third time, it's, it's just get it out of your system.
4: John Davidson.
3: Okay, I just love, and people that uh, are <laughs> listening to this can't see this, Greg, like, twist his arms around, like he's flexing when he does it. John Davidson. <laughs> I, just, I was doing the Hulk flex, like,
4: oh, uh, John Davidson.
3: And it should be noted, and this comes from Mark Summers' podcast, he impersonated uh, Sato Stevens on Double Dare and... Uh, and on Hollywood squares and shadow Stevens did not like it at all. He did not like it to the point that he still doesn't talk to Mark Summers to this day. He's that pissed. So Greg, you just pissed off shadow Stevens. Good job, buddy. Oh, well, maybe it's a
5: good thing. We didn't hire him to do Fulton County squares.
4: (laughs) All I will say is I really loved your
3: federated commercials. Fulton County Squares. Oh, that's a callback to about three, four months ago.
5: Now, the capsules, you have those?
3: I have most of the episodes from what I can see. I do have what appears to be the capsules for the three weeks in 1980 that it aired, and also six episodes from season two in 1981. So maybe there's nine episodes but there's definitely three for season one. The first episode aired on, well, you guys know, you said the premiere date, right? August eleventh, 1980. Well, it says August 9th on Wiki. In my capsule, it lists That's My Line as a limited comedy hyphen variety series dealing with people in strange and amusing occupations. They give your host, we know who's hosting, they give your reporters, who I'm sure Chico and Greg have mentioned, In this first episode, features include a man who arranges for people's fantasies to come true, a rattlesnake tracker, and a professor who experiments with jogging pigs. Mike, I actually have a clip from that premiere episode.
4: Oh, please say it's the jogging pigs. It's not the jogging pigs. No. You mentioned a fantasy broker or a fantasy merchant?
3: Yeah, in the listing it says... A man who arranges for people's fantasies to come true. Oh, wait, that was just Peter Marshall and fantasy about uh, two years later. Oh, you're funny. I'm not wrong, though. It's a story inspired
4: by that story, the story of the fantasy merchant. And it involves a man who graduated from San Francisco State College with a degree in television who would have a legendary career for himself. Are you ready? For Roger Dobkowitz. Now,
0: I'd like to introduce a gentleman who lived out his own fantasy. Here is Mr. Roger Dobkowitz.
4: Howdy,
0: Roger. Have a seat, won't you, please? Roger here is a friend of mine. Roger works with me on The Price is Right. And he's always impressed me as being a bright, uh, well-adjusted young man. Where'd you go to college? San Francisco State University. What did you study? I have a master's degree in television. You have a degree in television and you're working in television. Right. You're happily married? Yes. I mean, you were a week or so ago. Yes, I still am. You still are. And yet you have a fantasy. What is this fantasy? I've always wanted to be a professional prize fighter. A professional prize fighter? This intellectual looking young man has always wanted to be a prize fighter. Now, why do you suppose you have this fantasy, Roger? Well, my father had been a prize fighter at one time. And when you were a little boy, you admired your father? I admired him And when you grew up, you thought, I want to be like my dad. Right. Did you ever do any boxing? In high school, I took a course in boxing. Good for you. How'd you do? I flunked. (laughs) He flunked. (laughs) Why did you flunk the course? I didn't show up for the fight. My friend Roger didn't show up for the fight, but thanks to fantasy, Roger is going to be given a second chance to make his dream come true. We'll be back to see Roger live out his fantasy with a film of his heroic fight against a mean, nasty opponent, Bad Barkley, right after the Wait,
5: Roger's going to get a second chance?
4: Roger is going to get a second chance. No, don't don't feed him,
3: because you know what Greg's going to do?
5: What am I going to do, Mike?
3: I don't know. Tell us.
5: He's probably going to consult St. Peter to give him a second chance.
3: Oh, geez. <laughs> okay, I was close there. I, I thought you were going to break into song if you had a second chance.
4: We're just going to bypass the rest of the interview and go right into the film of Roger Dobkowitz in Las Vegas getting ready for a big fight against... Bad Blood Barton. And let me tell you something, guys. He's one tough cookie.
0: You are stationed in Las Vegas. Some of the greatest names have fought there. Some of them are boxers, too. Killer Duck, which is name up in lights. They don't have my name up in lights here at CBS. And look at that hand. He hasn't even landed a punch yet. Now
1: look you go out there, I want you jabbing,
0: jabbing, you're moving, we left all the time. Keep it. Yeah, moving. I want you to keep moving, I want you jabbing. He has everything. Manager, trainer. Yeah, right. Everything right. except courage. Right. Yeah. Look at you're that, you're that face.
1: Ooh,
0: right. yeah. 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 look at that opponent! Man, he's bigger than Roger. <laughs> Said you're ready, but I wonder, this is not going to be an easy fight. And you know, I think Roger knows it. Look at that face. Look at that face. You know, that, that looks like the real thing. <laughs> that looks like the real thing. That was just what I needed to make me want to see this fight. Is your father watching tonight? Oh, he better be. I'll bet he wants to see the fight. You're ready, aren't you? I am. Audience, you want to see the fight? You want to see the fight? Let's see that fight. We want the fight. We want the fight. It's a full house. Here's our hero. They're not leading him into the ring. They're pushing him into the ring. And he still has his glasses on. I hope he remembers to take those off. Open the ropes up for him, and here he is in the ring. Over in his corner, ring announcer. This is your main event. Introducing the challenger, wearing black trunks, weighing in at 195 pounds, the menace from Massachusetts, Bad Blood Barton. 195 pounds, that's a lot of bad blood. Introducing the contender, wearing lavender trunks. Lavender? Weighing in at 165 pounds, from Highland Park, California, making his first professional appearance in the ring, a great American, Killer Roger Dubkovich. He looks pretty good. Now let's listen to the referee
1: all times no low behind the head your opponent down
6: I want you
5: you know what this really needs guys the music from punch out during
3: the fight well speaking of the music the background cues the one that was used before this segment but also when they first introduced Roger going to Vegas they sounded like they came from super trainer Shane reaction there's a reason for that and I think you have it. I, I think I do too, but uh, I didn't connect the dots until right now. I'm surprised that uh, that Bob Cobert did uh, music for a Goodson-Todman show. I don't think he ever did that before. No, I don't think so
4: either. At least not that I can remember. Bob Cobert usually works with Bob Story.
3: Okay, fair enough. Then good observation by all of us. Then now let's see if Roger get his butt kicked. Sorry, I didn't want to spoil it. I'm just going to say on the record, I've never seen this, but there's a 30 pound difference. He's going to get hammered. I took one look at Roger's face. That's a face that says,
4: man, you're going to catch these hands. Well, let's see what
3: happens.
0: No oh, good. They remembered their glasses. They got them off. Now he can't see. Here's the bell. Here they come out to the center of the ring. Bad blood is feeling him out. And Roger looks as if he'd like to get out. This is Valerie. This is Roger's wife. Wondering what she'll wear at the funeral. <laughs> Incidentally, this referee is Davey Pearl. He's one of the best in the business. He did the thriller from Manila. He's seen a lot of fights, but he's never seen anything like this. And look at this, he doesn't know whether he's a flamenco dancer or doing the Ali Shuffle. Hey, look at that head fly back. He landed a good right there. He breaks up the clinches by slapping their wrists. There's another couple lefts. His left is not good, and his right is worse. And there's the end of the first round. Now, let's see if we can hear what anything he tell
6: Roger. It. Get in there. Keep uh-huh. your left foot up. Don't worry about a thing. He never touched you once. Go in there and wipe him out. This is yours. Uh-huh.
0: I think Roger was trying to get out. He ran the wrong way. <laughs> Roger acts as if he means business this round. throw breaks him up. Look at that wind up. He's down. Bad blood is down. He's trying to get out. David Pearl is counting over him. He can't make it, can he? He's out. Roger wins.
3: Is it just me, or did Roger Dobkiewicz look like a real-life version of Glass Joe in the ring? Yeah. Since, since Greg mentioned Punch-Out earlier... That's I was thinking ex- more Don Flamenco, but yeah. Well, he did the little dancing and whatnot, but I'm just talking about the, the, the physique, just being a scrawny little orp, for lack of a better word.
4: This was the sort of thing that was staged based on a story that they had, because... For all intents and purposes, this is the pilot, and everybody liked it enough to warrant another season, as short
3: as it is. And, uh, by the way, you have the second episode? Again, I have all three episodes from that summer 1980 trial, plus six for uh, the season two. So, uh, the second episode, A Visit to Beverly Hills' Most Expensive Clothing Store, The Belay Trocadero, An All-Male troupe and a man who milks venom from tarantulas and scorpions. I am happy to report that I have no clips for any of those. Good, then I'll just go to the third episode. Segments include a Chicago butcher who supplies exotic meats, a man who's the world's fastest typist, a woman who teaches babies as young as seven weeks old to swim, a banjo band, a woman who custom designs pet clothes, a girl rodeo clown, and a man who trains tigers. 40 years before Tiger King. Which lasted a crack block of episodes, by the way.
5: If you imagine if this show lasted 40 years, we probably would have gotten a profile on that bitch Carol Baskin and have she fed her husband to the tigers. Allegedly. No, there's no allegedly, Chico. She definitely fed her husband
4: to the tigers.
3: I'm agreeing with Greg here. What else we got, Mike? Okay, now for Season 2, and the premiere date for Season 2 that I have is February 13th of 1981. Features include a preteen news director slash man, a man who repairs Mount Rushmore, a woman who runs a mother's milk bank, and a macho male beefcake model. Clearly not Roger Dopkowitz.
4: And
5: clearly not Brutus the Barber beefcake or Rick the Model Martel. Now you see, that's a deep cut, Rick the Model Martel.
3: I, hey, I can hang.
5: I need to get his Hasbro eventually one day.
3: I can't necessarily guarantee I have episodes in order or if I have all the episodes. This might be episode two. It might be episode three of the second season. Uh, segments uh, include a man who dives for lost golf balls, a lingerie party for ladies only. Woo! And the world's greatest butler, presumably the next episode, which I'm going to assume is three, taking a look at the dates, uh, episode three of season two, a photographer whose only models are pigs, a seeing eye dog for a blind dog, and a grandmother who is an army drill instructor. Now it gets a little weird because the next capsule I have is for April of 1981. I don't know if it went on hiatus what have you? It may have gone on hiatus because your sweeps would have been February of 1981, so maybe it just uh, took March off due to the sweeps from the previous month. In this episode, we have a persuasive policeman who is hostage specialist, a child psychologist who helps children overcome their fear of surgery, the losingest coach in basketball, three women who run a boarding house for 140 cats, a class for people with tin ears who want to learn how to sing and a man who finds missing heirs. And then a week later, April 10th of 1981, a woman who arranges bicycle weddings, an unusual homemade airplane, a super gambler who is banned from almost every gambling casino in Las Vegas, a Hollywood agent who handles clients who look like famous people, and uh, the painful job of the Hollywood stuntman. I thought I had more episode capsules because... I remember going through this, and admittedly, if Chico and Greg didn't mention it, I had some major microphone issues uh, for some reason. Zoom wouldn't uh, recognize my microphone, so I had to do uninstalling, reinstalling, downloading drivers, and uh, all sorts of fun stuff. I thought I saw the capsule regarding maybe the most popular segment in That's My Line history.
4: Well, we'll get to that. There's actually another Orphan segment, and it has to do with the life of a Hollywood voice actor. But not just any Hollywood voice actor. The man of a thousand voices himself.
0: Of Hollywood's most famous movie stars. Listen to voice number one here. Oh, sluffer and sluckatash. Wait like, till I catch that bird, will swallow them whole. Sylvester Cat, one of your favorites, I know. That's just one. Listen to number two here. Oh, that's what I thought. A booty I did see a booty There you are. Old Tweety Bird. Tweety Bird. Now here's number three. I'm a real Westerner. Where, where,
1: where can I find myself? Yeah,
0: Yosemite Sam. That's who it is. And not only that, our next guest earns his living bringing all those characters to life. That's his line. Say hello to Mel Blank. Come oh. on Mel. Yes, sir. Have a seat, Mel. Okay. Such a pleasure to see you again. It's always a pleasure to see you. I think you can tell from the response of that audience, they love those voices, three of their favorites, but you've done so many, and I'd like to ask you to do a few more. Oh, I'd love to. For instance, the Maxwell on the old Jack Benny show. How, how did that all start? Well,
1: you know, uh, the sound effects men were supposed to play the sound of a motor on a record. Uh-huh. And I saw, just before the cue, I saw they didn't have the electric plug put in the socket. Yes. And it came to the cue, and I jumped up to the microphone, and I made like a Maxwell, like this. <laughs>
0: his favorite automobiles of all time and the parrot Jack Benny's parrot his parrot couldn't
1: come in on cue so uh, he asked me if I could do it I said uh...
4: that's just a very brief synop of Mel Blanc's storied career but you know who's even well I'm not not better than Mel Blanc you know who's just as good as Mel Blanc
3: don't say Michael Winslow he's not so who's as good as mel blank you can't just like dangle the carrot in front of us well let's
4: go to the audience because he's actually sitting in the audience right now
0: Stand up here please now for him how about uh bugs bunny
1: me
2: what's up doc me what's up
0: doc that's, good. that's really good Mel, I think I have a hot one here. <laughs> Sounds good. It does. How about a little Daffy Duck? Why, well, certainly. You are despicable. <laughs> Suffering succotash. Certainly I can sound like Daffy Duck.
4: You're despicable. <laughs> Why, that's <laughs> I have the man right here.
2: I
0: have the ma- What's your name? Uh, Noel Blank. Noel Blank, Mel's son. Come on, let's join your dad up there, Noel. Noel has been working on this a spell, we can tell. He does them beautifully, Mel. He really does them well. How long have you been working with him? Oh,
1: uh, he used to come to me when I was a kid, when he was a kid. (laughs) Don't
0: make me that old. Now, wait a minute. I liked your first story better, Mel.
1: (laughs) And uh, I'd be fixing, uh, we have an antique watch collection between us, Yes. and uh, I'd be fixing one of my antique watches and I'd say,
0: this thing certainly is old, don't you think so? And i say, yes, it's a mainspring, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I I'd say it's, it's the wettest story I've heard since I came out here tonight. Go ahead, I'm sorry. We, I said we got a lot of rusty watches with it. <laughs> i bet you did. I'll bet you did. How old were you when you first started doing voices? Oh, about four years old. I'd bring a Bugs Bunny comic book in and sit on his knee, and he would uh, read them to me. in the different voices, I'd try to copy him. Sure. Has he mastered them all?
1: Yes, he has done almost everything except uh, Yosemite Sam is a little gravelly on his voice.
0: (laughs)
2: Yosemite Sam is real down here, real tough.
0: Every time I try that, my vocal cords end up on the wall somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but it's interesting because he can do that so well and for so long a time. Didn't you have, uh, I think you had your voice box x-rayed once. Right. He had his voice box x-rayed and the doctor told him that his vocal cords were as strong as the great Caruso. That
1: he had only seen another pair of vocal cords like Mel's. Of course, I can't sing like Caruso, but...
0: Uh... <laughs> I already had a spot planned for next week. Have him back. Well, this has just been a marvelous visit. I want to thank you for all of the happiness you've brought us, Mel. And Noel will be watching for you in the future. But before you go, do you two have any final words for us?
2: The meat, the is the the that's
4: folks. Before we get into the main event, as it were, You could see why Bob Barker was chosen to be this sort of MC for this show. I mean, he ticks all the boxes. He can improvise. He can interact with the audience. He basically took everything he learned from a storied career in both radio and television up to this point and applied it to something that he's never done before. I don't think he's ever done a show like this before, but he knows, hey. I'm just the conduit. The
3: guests are the stars. But bring on the main event, please. Oh, if you've never seen this, find it. It is brilliant.
4: On one episode, this is the most famous clip from That's My Line and perhaps the lasting legacy of this show. We have a professional debunker. Pendulette before Pendulette was Pendulette, in the amazing James Randi, a magician, mentalist, professional skeptic. He's in one side. On the other side, we have. I'll just let Mister Barker explain it. And I should note before I play this clip, this is actually from a YouTube clip that features James Randi breaking down the clip as. An audience is watching it. So we're basically seeing a clip inside a clip inside a clip.
0: That's my line. Tonight on this stage, you are going to meet a man who claims he can move physical objects using only the powers of his mind. I'm featured the world famous magician, the amazing Randy. Well, we invited him back tonight for a very special reason. Here he is, the amazing Randy. You have been touring our country performing as a magician, but you have also been debunking psychics, haven't you? I have indeed. Would you explain to our audience why you devote so much time to this crusade of yours? Well, I'll tell you, Bob, I feel
7: it's a very serious matter to be particularly raising a younger generation who are being led to believe by some incompetent and uh, not very bright, in some cases, magicians and uh, scientists at the same time, that there are such things as psychic powers. I've looked for it for a long time now, and I have not found anything in 35 years, and I think that particularly a younger generation being told that these things are real will not be
0: raised in such a way that they can deal with a rational, logical, real world. And you have offered $10,000 to anyone who can perform a psychic feat. I have indeed, and I carry the check with me. I hope you have the check with you tonight, because we have a young man who claims to be able to move objects with his mind? Mm-hmm. What I would like to have you do is to go backstage and watch carefully as I ask this young man to demonstrate his psychic powers. Very well, I will. Make yourself comfortable in front of a monitor. Right. I want you to meet a very interesting young man. He is only 21 years old, he's from Salt Lake City, and he's the founder of the Institute of Shaolin Kung Fu, and the subject of much controversy. Welcome, James Heydrich!
5: This guy looks so
4: fucking ridiculous here. Obviously, we're dealing with a man who has a Dorothy Hamill haircut, who is wearing some very frilly silk pajamas, and he is the founder of an institute of Shaolin Gong Fu in Salt Lake City. And he claims he can move things with his mind, like pencils and phone book pages?
5: Wait a minute. That's two tricks. You know what that means? What's that? That means he has one more trick than that fucking
3: fraud, Yuri Geller.
8: I was waiting for that! (laughs) Thank you!
3: Oh, Craig, you played that perfectly. I was anticipating that for so long. But you probably want to see this guy in action, don't you?
6: Just psychic
0: powers. Very well. Here's a pencil, James. Show us.
5: Just leaving it on the uh, table halfway. Nice mustache by the way.
4: There's an inset. Close-up of the pencil.
3: I see this and I really think of uh, what was his name? Mentok the mind taker from uh, Harvey Bourbon. You guys talked about his hair. What about that mustache?
7: Oh my
5: gosh! It rotated. Now let me just say,
4: that is more impressive than bending a fucking spoon. (laughs) But wait till you see what he could do with a phone book. And for you kids listening, a phone book is a book literally full of phone numbers.
5: Wait a minute, Chico. Are you telling me that there was a time before you could Google any number?
4: Yes. Mm. Dramatic. Dramatic. <laughs> <laughs>
5: I love his facials here.
4: Yeah. Oh, I see th- I see. he's on the plumbing pages. That's good to know. <laughs> okay, let's get it, I'll get it. False alarm, here we go! <laughs>
3: He had a running start, and the force of his hand pushed the page. The the, the the air coming from his hand pushed the page. That's what I'm saying. I know I'm wrong, but that's what I'm going to stand by. We've seen him move a pencil. you have also seen him
4: move a phone book page. So he could move things with his mind, as long as they're incredibly lightweight. So he could probably move Roger Dobkowitz.
3: You know what he can't move? A damn razor to shave off that fucking ugly
5: mustache. Oh, that mustache is shit.
4: This clip features a breakdown from Randy himself. You must understand that when he was making that
7: page move, he knew he was under the gun. He was being observed carefully. He would not wear a microphone. He wanted the overhead microphone, the boom microphone to follow him around, pick up any sounds, with the microphone such as this around his neck his gimmick might have been given away immediately. The point is it took them about 25 minutes or so to get him to turn that page. So it's all condensed, you'll even notice that the book shifts position rather dramatically from the edge further in on the table at one point that's an edit but it's quite innocently done they just cut 25 minutes down to a matter of 40 seconds or so but there was a long period of time during which he did this and when you see him try it under my conditions it was a full 45 minutes they actually let the audience go out to take a lunch break and come back in again during that period you won't see that cut in the tape you'll just see sort of a dissolve but let's go ahead with it
4: so that was James Randy breaking down what did happen and what is about to happen so my question to you gentlemen and to our listening audience all around the world and to all the ships at sea who wants
3: to see a psychic master get owned well he's not really a psychic master he hasn't proven anything it's just you've got like i don't want to say the world's biggest skeptic but i'm going to use that term yeah, James Randi is a skeptic, and he's just going to point out the, uh, the, the flaws in uh, the execution.
0: Once again, here is the man who claims to have psychic powers, James Heydrich. welcome back to our stage. You did a most impressive demonstration earlier in our show. If you saw it, I'm sure you were impressed. If you did not, let me explain that James moved a pencil without touching it, and James turned the page of a telephone directory without touching it. And you claim to have done that with psychic power. Yes. Now, you're prepared to demonstrate your psychic powers again. You've warmed up. You're ready to go, are you, James? Mm -hmm. Very well. Let's welcome back a man who has made a name for himself as a master trickster, and the author of Flim Flam, the amazing Randy. <laughs> Randy, welcome back. James, Randy. Randy, okay. Now, you saw James' demonstration from backstage. Yes, I did. And do you accept that as a demonstration of psychic power, or do you believe that he used trickery? I don't accept it as a demonstration of psychic
7: power, Bob. I think that the solution is rather simple. I think that Mr. Heydrich is merely to accomplish this effect blowing on both the page
0: and on the pencil. I see. Now, you originally asked him to demonstrate in two different ways his psychic power. But as I understand it, you are now prepared to waive the demonstration with the pencil. Yes, and the reason is rather simple
7: because the pencil reacts to even the currents of the air conditioning in this studio. It would be very difficult to try to put controls on it in such a way that normal currents of air that are present all the time would not move the pencil. For example,
0: it moves very, very easily. All right, you're not going to ask him to do that. That's one down, one to go, James. You are prepared to pay him $10,000 if he can turn the page of the telephone directory with certain controls. That's right. right? Mm -hmm. You have the $10,000, do you Randy? I do indeed, it's uh, right
7: here. I've carried this check now for going on 17 years, Bob. Uh, There it is, a check for $10,000, awardable to the gentleman, should he be able to successfully perform the demonstration.
0: I would like to introduce our panel of judges. And our first judge here, Dr. John Palmer, is a psychologist and professor of parapsychology at John F. Kennedy University. The seat right there, Dr. Palmer. We have Dr. Stephen Drake, astronomer and expert on stellar evolution at UCLA. And our third judge is Dr. Ronald Markman, assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at USC.
5: You know what I was hoping we'd see as one of the doctors? Dr. Lee Franz.
3: Brig, again, get out of my mind. I was just going to say those doctors, the way they looked there, If they ever did a reboot of Double Dare around 1981, those are your spoilers. Dr. Lee Franz, that's great.
7: Uh, Since my theory, as yet unproven of course, is that it's accomplished simply by blowing, though rather cleverly I must admit done, there should be a way, a simple way without a lot of instrumentation to demonstrate
0: that fact by using one very simple control. Now, uh, let me just emphasize that this one control will not stop him from turning the page of the telephone directly. That's right. But you hope to the judge's satisfaction will demonstrate that he is doing it with his breath. That's correct. All right.
7: Now, what I have here is particles of a white plastic, which, when given a good puff, good heavy puff of air, will, I think, rather conclusively show whether or not blowing is a method accomplished. Now, it will not perhaps in some way differentiate between genuine psychic power and actual blowing
0: but it certainly should be very interesting indeed to see what now occurs well do you maintain that if the page of the telephone directory turns that we will see movement in the styrohome home as well i think that it's pretty logical we've experimented
7: with it bob and that's what we have determined in the experiments
0: very well are you ready to proceed i am indeed judges you're ready james ready
4: huh? is the face of a man who knows that he is completely and undeniably fucked. he can't do the trick where he just gets up and then runs to the paper because then, next thing you know his cover's blown he can't do that now he's thinking to himself how am I gonna get out of this
0: you had another question? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is? what would you like okay. to ask?
6: The styrofoam and the lights form electricity which pulls the page. Look. It pulls the page down instead of freeing the pages.
0: All right, and uh, what would you like to ask us to ask Randy to allow?
6: you to do or for me to, to do. To either take something else, either lighter or something that is going to keep, that isn't going to form like static electricity. You mean put something else, some other material around something here? Something that is not foam. Foam causes static electricity and the light is what heats it up. Why right, Randy, is there anything else that you can put around the
7: telephone directly? I've heard the question, but the question is not valid because it's making an assumption which is not true. The foam does not in any way create static electricity and Mr. Heydrich, in demonstrating that the pages were clinging together, didn't demonstrate it to my satisfaction. I think uh, we could perhaps ask the judges for their opinion on that. I am not assigned scientist, so I'm not qualified to declare on it. Judges?
6: Sure.
0: Whatever static electricity exists in the styrofoam would not really affect the movement of the page or the clinging of the pages together, in my opinion.
6: I would, I would add that if this is, in fact, psychic functioning, I don't really see why that would make a difference.
0: Very well. Randy, would you allow me to turn perhaps half-dozen pages and then put them back? Uh, oh yes, you may do that, please, that James. I'll just lift up, one, two. Lift them in a bunch, if you would, uh, Bob. Just so take about a quarter of an inch of them. All right, there, place like them. that. That's fine. Gently place them down, gently, so it doesn't. Disturb
7: now he's me. turning
4: to the attorney. Well, oh, I thought you oh,
0: were the other place way. One. Yeah, the other way. That's what I thought you meant. Would that sure be helpful to you?
6: The static is going to still be here because of the phone. See, well, it is the
0: opinion of the judges that there is not enough static form by the foam the to be a problem. So, uh, under the conditions agreed upon, it uh, would seem that now you should at least try with psychic power to turn the page of the telephone directory,
6: James. Okay.
4: Still bound
0: It's not going to uh, turn. No, it
6: isn't.
0: Well. Have you reached the point, then, when uh, at, at which we can declare the
6: demonstration terminated? This isn't a magician's trick. I can't just come up, bang, bang, and it's over. I have to be to where I can work with something small and then big, you know, to build up my own self. So this well, is, you know, the, it isn't uh, a trick. It has to be done, you know, this is just, this power. It's, it's mental power. The conditions
0: agreed upon have been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we can't change the conditions now in midstream. So, in the opinion of our judges here, you have not seen a demonstration of psychic power, have you?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: You have not. And, Randy, uh, obviously, James has not won the $10,000 with this demonstration. So it seems. Now, you have heard what James's explanation is. Do you have any comment to make on that?
7: Bob, the the comment very briefly is that I have gone through many hundreds of these tests with many hundreds of people who claim to have psychic powers. And quite frankly, it's more or less the same story every time. When a simple, direct, very uncomplicated protocol is used and the control is applied, the psychic forces don't seem to be present, if indeed they are ever present at all. I still look for some sort of evidence of psychic powers. To date, I have not found any. Up to this very moment, I am still totally unconvinced.
0: Judges, do you have any further comment to make? You agree that you have not seen a psychic demonstration? Uh,
6: yes, I, I would agree that I have not seen a psychic demonstration. Uh, I would like to say that as a parapsychologist, I believe that there are uh, other evidence under, under control
0: conditions that do uh, demonst- demonstrate, I would think, to a reasonable person that
4: psychic phenomena do exist, yes. but uh, obviously not in this, in this uh, demonstration.
0: I want to thank you very much. Thank you so much, you. ladies and gentlemen. James Hydrick. Before I say goodbye to you, Randy, I do indeed appreciate the fact that you joined us on "That's My Line." Dr. Palmer, Dr. Drake, Dr. Martin. Thank you so much. Thank you, Randy.
3: I do want to add a postscript to all this. First, the reason that James Hydrick was on "That's My Line" to begin with was. He actually demonstrated psychic abilities on that's incredible of all things. And he was unable to replicate that as we obviously just saw on that's my line. And he later actually confessed to being fraudulent. I know, shocker. But even more terrifying, in 1989, James Heydrich was imprisoned for child molestation And currently, he is in a psychiatric hospital.
5: Yes, Chico, that is the correct reaction.
3: Yeah, very creepy, but just wanted to give the rest of the story as it were. I know I'm not Paul Harvey, but I I did want to add that. So, yeah, he he was as fake as a $3 bill, and he's as creepy as creepy can be.
5: As if the mustache didn't give it away.
3: Well, like I said, yes, he can try to move telephone book pages. Yes, he can try to move pencils, but he can't move a razor to shave off that thing on his upper lip. Now, there was a
4: prove-out to end this segment.
0: Now, what you saw just before that commercial was an edited version of Randy's challenge. James Hydrick. ...was actually given 30 minutes to demonstrate his psychic powers, and we showed you just the highlights. Randy believes Mr. Hydrick accomplished the feat originally by blowing on the pages, and here's Randy demonstrating that technique.
4: Those were just, just- the many stories covered on this show. Obviously, people watch the first three episodes, otherwise they wouldn't have gone through the trouble of making
3: the rest of the series. I've got ratings if you want to know them. I do want to know them. Now, I don't have ratings for those first three episodes, but I do have ratings for 1981. Specifically to start the first week of February of 1981, out of 64 shows, it was 38th. So... Just slightly below the halfway point. Beating shows including Bosom Buddies, Barney Miller, 8 is Enough, Buck Rogers, The White Shadow, Charlie's Angels, Benson, Hill Street Blues. Beat a lot of good shows. But you'll see the ratings change not for the better in future weeks. Uh, The following week it was 45th out of 66 shows. And then move uh, a month further to the week of March 9th to the 15th of 81. Out of 69 shows, get it out of your system. Nice. It was 68th. For the first week of April of 1981, well, technically March 31st to April 5th of 1981, out of 63 shows, it was 61st. And the last set of ratings I have is for a week later, April 6th through the 12th of 1981, out of 64 shows, 61st. So it went from, like I said, right about the middle point, still in the lower half, but at the high part of the lower half, to basically dead last, or almost dead last. Yeah, people weren't buying this for whatever reason. I think actually another comparison we should take a look at is how did it compare to that's incredible and real people? I think that's really the litmus test that tells us how good or bad it was, uh, especially uh, early on. Well, you had that's incredible near the top
4: 20 almost consistently because they put it on Monday nights,
3: beating into Monday night football. Taking a look at the ratings for that uh, week of April 6th to the 12th of uh, 81, I have That's Incredible in a tie for 20th. And Real People was actually at 17th. Another reality show, Those Amazing Animals, came in at 60th, right above That's My Line. And if we take a look at that first week of February I told you about, where it finished 38th out of 64 shows, we have real people, believe it or not, tied for sixth. Dallas one, Dukes of Hazard two, Hooper three, MASH four, 60 minutes fifth, and real people was tied with different strokes for sixth. And then That's Incredible was tied for 17th with Happy Days. And then, like I said, that's my line, 38th, those amazing animals, tied for 44th. I mean, honestly... That's incredible, and real people were much better shows. I used to watch them as a kid. They're just absolutely amazing. And I'm not saying that because one has John Davidson, and the other has John Barber, whose son did all the bookings on the New Liars Club. We talked about that last week. Go listen to that. It was a hoot. But also, taking a look at the schedule, maybe that'll paint a little bit of a picture. I've got schedules for the first three episodes, and also... Later in that second season. Originally aired on Saturday night at 8 p.m. And on ABC it went up against 240 Robert. I'm guessing that might be a cop show of some sort. Uh it avoided Love Boat and Fantasy Island, which is really good. On NBC, the first hour of a two-hour Buck Rogers. And admittedly, as I said earlier, Buck Rogers ratings weren't that good in 81, it was beaten, at least on that first week, by That's My Line.
5: So let's just say it right now. Bob Barker bigger ratings draw in 1981 than Aaron Gray.
3: When it came back for season two, it went to Tuesday nights. And I already know what's coming up on Tuesday nights. And ABC is going to smoke the competition. Yeah, that's my line for the entire hour again, 8 to 9 p.m. On NBC, you had Sheriff Lobo.
2: I miss Sheriff Lobo.
3: I know you do. But on ABC, I'm sorry, you're not beating Happy Days in Laverne and Shirley, even if for both of those shows, they're two, three years away from being canceled. And just to add more pain, the rest of the night on ABC, Three's Company, Too Close for Comfort, and Heart to Heart. ABC had a killer lineup on Tuesday nights. And then the last thing I have is actually a schedule for April of 1981. I don't have anything after April of 1981. And this is on a Saturday. So maybe it moved back to Saturdays after being trounced by uh, all the shows on ABC on Tuesdays. I have it at 9 o'clock. And both of these are bad but one of them is much worse in 1981 than the other. The not-so-bad one is Hill Street Blues. Actually, there are two episodes of Hill Street Blues on that night. This is the first of them, but on ABC. The first hour of a two-hour love boat. Oh. There's no recovery from that. And the thing is, its lead-in was not that bad. Well, (laughs) In retrospect, the lead-in was not that bad, at least uh, what started at the 8 p.m. hour. You had WKRP in Cincinnati, so this would have been the second-to-last season of WKRP. And then you had Flow. And Flow wasn't bad. It's a possible future cover, but still you had two decent shows that should have gotten respectable ratings in 1981. And then That's My Line at 9. Must not have worked because they replaced
4: it with a television version of the 1979 movie Concrete Cowboys.
5: What in God's name is Concrete Cowboys?
4: Your guess is as good as mine. Okay, here it is. Jerry Reed reprising his role as J.D. Reed, and Jeffrey Scott taking over Tom Selleck's role as Will Eubanks. Broadcast on CBS from February 7th to March 22nd and canceled after seven episodes. And all that's left of the show is one full episode on YouTube, bits and pieces of other episodes also on YouTube, but the rest of the series is considered lost.
3: Now, I'm not going to say that. And I'll tell you why. If you remember, oh gosh, this must have been about July. June-ish, when Buzzer first promoted doing a 100th birthday celebration for Bob Barker, they showed clips of That's My Line, implying to me that it might air. Now, it wasn't a lot of footage. It was just a brief commercial. But the thing is, when you saw match game clips and Tattletales clips and whatever other shows – Bob would have done, Family Feud uh, in the 90s, there was a little bit of that's my line. There's no reason to believe it doesn't exist. It's 1981 and 1980. CBS wouldn't be wiping his properties, and we know how diligent Mark Goodson was at saving his tapes. So they're out there. Maybe it's lost media in the sense that Yeah, they're not out there and easily accessible to us, but they're existing somewhere in Fremantle's vault. And maybe it's one of those things where in about a month or two, we should be coming upon lost and found time on uh, Buzzer. Maybe they'll pull it out for lost and found. So it's not gone. It's just, let's say, in storage.
4: Cold storage.
3: Well, again, you never know when Buzzer may just pull it out of mothballs and just surprise people. Or, you know, I'm even hoping, even though I think it's really sort of fruitless, that maybe sometime in the next week or so, they pull it out and say, Hey, surprise. We've been sitting on this for, you know, 42, 43 years. And for the first time since 1981. Here's that's my line showing a different side of Bob Barker, albeit not really that much of a different side. Still hosting and you know still doing what he does best, but just in a reality setting versus a game setting. But this show would not be without a
4: legacy, as we mentioned earlier. Kerry Millerick, producer and one of the uh, field agents of the show, would go on to be a similar role in the 82-83 season of Real People. And, of course, he would also continue his producing and his writing. Susan Childs and TU Leak would continue being cast as that newscaster from that thing. Some of TU's credits include Airheads, Honeymoon in Vegas, and NYPD Blue, and future entry Team Knight Rider, and some of Susan Childs's. Credits include Favorite Son and Remington
3: Steel. Did you mention that T.U. Leak was a guest on To Tell the Truth in 1980? This is news to me. We covered uh, To Tell the Truth in 1980, and T.U. Leak was at least on one-week episodes. I don't remember if it was promoting That's My Line, but it would make perfectly good sense because... To tell the truth, in 1980 would have been 80-81, and when did this run? Started in August of 1980 and ran through uh, 1981.
4: Everybody came out of this show unscathed and from 1980 to 1981 it wanted to be the next That's Incredible.
3: But sadly, it just became another thing
4: on TV. Speaking of fine Martin, Goodson Productions.
3: I think I know what time it is. It's time for This Weekend
1: Match Game Hollywood Square Our History.
3: This week, we're up to week seven of Match Game Hollywood Squares. 40 years ago, Week 7 aired, December 12th to the 16th of 1983. Oh, coincidentally, December 12th, that Monday, would have been Bob Barker's 60th birthday, doing simple math. And, oh, Greg, I have great news for you. Johnny Olson fills in this week as an announcer.
5: Yeah, that's right. I substituted this week,
3: Johnny Please. That's not Greg. I said Greg. I didn't say Johnny. Jeez. Johnny,
5: Johnny, get off the stage, please.
3: Go back into the corner, you old ghost. So this week, oh, we have a great lineup. Bill Rafferty. Speaking of real people, since we've been talking about real people uh, being one of those uh, newcomers to sort of challenge the That's Incredible Throne. And you had Kim Miori from St. Elsewhere. Willie Tyler and Lester. Oh, who doesn't love Willie Tyler and Lester? Marsha Wallace, Bruce Baum, Alfie Wise, Vicky McCarty, and, oh, Stan Freeberg. How about that? Stan Freeberg.
5: Legend Stan Freeberg.
3: A very legendary satirist, absolutely. And we talked about him on the Weird Al show, which, by the way, as uh, you're hearing this, it's airing on Shout TV's channel. They're doing another day of just Weird Al back to back to back to back to back. So you can catch some Stan Freeberg there. We did have a champion retire undefeated this week. Diane Hydorn retired on the Friday episode with $56,700. So that would be the second highest money winner next to our beloved Magnificent Beard guy. Other than that, that's all we got. We got uh, Bill Rafferty, we got Stan Freeberg, we got Willie Tyler and Lester, and we had an undefeated champion, and we got Johnny Olson.
2: Wow! And now for your halftime entertainment, please welcome the incomparable, the beautiful, the amazingly Randy.
5: Ah, uh, dude, your dad's here.
2: Thank you! Hey! You know, we live in a world of brutality and violence. And some people think there's no room for wonder anymore. Well, just for a moment, I want you to think one thing. Whatever you
4: believe is real, is real.
5: And he did more tricks than that fucking fraud, Yuri Geller (laughs) with his cock magic.
0: After these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah. Old people. Slackers.
2: Get a clue. Get a job.
0: Get a haircut. Get some hair. Respect!
6: Have some prunes! Why you? I do want to take this and just give
0: it
5: to With new games like Ken Griffey Jr.'s Major League Baseball, Tetris Plus, and Donkey Kong Land 3,
0: the world is a better place. <laughs> nice earrings. Nice hearing aid What? Oh, the taste of nuts and honey, Mr. Screw.
2: Um, but but there are things to do, no, Mr. Scrooge. Honey Nut Cheerios. It's Christmas. My dusty gruel will suffice, thank
1: you. Yeah, but Honey Nut Cheerios blends golden honey and crunchy nuts. Listen, so, you see
2: honey and nuts? It's so funny, oh,
6: oh. Merry Christmas, Mr. Hi. Scrooge.
2: Sunday, you must find the Baby
0: New Year. It may be December 31st forever, unless Rudolph finds the lost Baby New Year on Rudolph's Shiny New Year. Then... Don't you have a tree? Steve Austin uses his bionic powers to help a family find the true meaning of Christmas on the six million dollar man. And tonight, the Carpenters Party with Christy McNichol,
2: Kukla and Ollie, and Harvey Corman. the Carpenters at Christmas. Tonight, right after the year without Santa Claus. CBS Sports Break, sponsored by Bud Light. Good evening, the Philadelphia Eagles today won the title in the NFC East. Randall
0: Cunningham's 12-yarder to Keith Jackson in the second period put the Eagles ahead to stay. Then the all-pro
4: quarterback hit the veteran, Mike Quick for another scoring strike in the third quarter. And in the Meadowlands, the Jets rallied late in the game and won on Ken O'Brien's touchdown toss to Al Toon with only 37 seconds left. Dave Craig passed Seattle to its first AFC West title ever. Craig destroyed the Raider defenses. He threw for four touchdowns. We'll have more
0: after this.
3: Come on, Teddy. Enough Christmas for one
1: day. Okay,
8: Mom. I can talk. What can you do? Daddy, I've been looking all over for you. Come on, let's go to bed.
6: Season's greetings from your Pepsi bottler. In the snow at Cleveland, the Browns'
4: 38-year-old backup quarterback, Don Strock went to Webster Slaughter, and they wiped out a 16-point Houston lead to win a wild-card spot. For CBS Sports Break, I'm Brian Musburger.
2: This is CBS. Episode 436,
6: Submission
5: 2298. The Aquaman 2006 pilot. The Aquaman 2006 pilot. Was an unsold pilot. For the WB. That was unaired. But was released on iTunes. On July 25th. Of 2006. Well guys. Out of all the characters in the DC Universe. You have Superman. You have Batman. You have Wonder Woman, you have The Flash, and you have Aquaman.
4: Yeah, when the movie came out, I thought, and here I was thinking Superman was difficult to adapt. How are you going to adapt Aquaman? But yet, Jason Momoa made it work. Yes.
5: And considering, in the conscienceless of most people... Aquaman is basically known for two things. People thought he was incredibly lame. And also that one um, part in that one season of Entourage where James Cameron made that Aquaman movie with Vinny Chase. Remember that, Chico? James Cameron's Aquaman. I do. (laughs) Now, let's be honest. In the mid-2000s, That would have been an awesome blockbuster in real life.
4: Anything with Vincent Chase would be awesome in real life.
5: Yeah, because remember, Chico, he is Queens Boulevard. But back in 2006, the WB thought, well, you know, everyone kind of knows who Aquaman is from Entourage. So it's like, Why don't we just, like, adapt this character for television?
4: And they would be able to do it because they are building off of the success of Smallville at the time.
5: Yeah, and Smallville was, like, a big success for the WB at this point. In fact, they got the uh, creators of Smallville to work on this pilot.
4: So this was supposed to be, like, a spin-off.
5: I guess, or maybe set in the same universe or... Kind of, sort of, in a similar vein to Smallville.
4: So we already know about the story of Smallville, and that's supposed to be Superman before Superman was Superman. What is the story behind Aquaman? Is this Aquaman before Aquaman was Aquaman, or Aquaman as Aquaman?
5: Damned if I know, I paid $3 for this on Google Play that's right folks i paid some of my hard-earned money and i actually watched the whole damn thing and i recapped the whole damn thing because damn it i'm a podcast journalist and i want you to experience what i had to go through to pay that three dollars
3: and also greg hates money
5: that's right i hate money isn't that true mike
3: Chico took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say it right as he said. I didn't want to talk over him, but we all know Greg despises money.
5: That's right. But we have to talk about who they got for this pilot in 2006. And Chico, they couldn't get Jason Momoa for this pilot back in 2006. But let me tell you who they got to play Arthur Curry I gotta say. Fantastic.
4: This was before Alan Richardson played Aquaman, by the way, in the uh, Arrowverse.
5: Yeah. Do you want to say it, Chico?
4: Justin Mother, Father, Hartley. Yeah. From This Is Us, among other things. But, oh,
5: playing his adopted father, Tom Curry in this pilot, I think this is the first time ever we're going to reference La Bamba on this podcast, Chico.
3: And we're not talking about the band member from uh, Conan O'Brien's band.
5: Oh, I wish we were talking about La Bamba. From
3: oh, that would be great if we were, but sadly wouldn't we're be, not.
5: Wouldn't that be hilarious if La Bamba from Conan's dad was Aquaman's dad?
3: Hilarity would definitely ensue.
5: But of course I'm talking about the one. The only Blue Diamond Phillips. And let me just say, this is not going to be the last time we're going to be talking to him. Because we're going to be talking about him in the epic CBS flop. Wolf Lake. Do you remember that, Chico? Do you Vaguely. Remember? I just remember it premiered after 9-11. And that was done. America's like, we've suffered enough. We don't want to watch this.
4: Oh, God. Hasn't Sean McDermott done enough with that? After what came out regarding Sean McDermott this week, we're putting the kibosh on comparing anything to that.
5: Oh, wait a minute. I didn't know what you were going to Oh, that's right. We were talking about Sean McDermott. What did he compare 9-11 to?
4: Content warning for the next 30 seconds. He basically wanted the Bills to play like the terrorists on 9-11. To quote a great American, Jaguar Gator 9, I'm sorry.
3: What? I don't even get what the heck that means. Greg has the right reaction. His mouth is agape, and he really cannot say a word about it. That's really the best way of summarizing it.
5: Let me just say, I can't even make a joke about this. I can't.
3: Well, You're not really supposed to joke about 9-11. I know. And now you know why we absolutely hate the Buffalo Bills around here. Josh Allen, those comments from uh, uh, Coach McDermott. We need to say anything else. Talk
5: about somebody that makes Robert Saul look like a genius.
4: but enough about david tepper
5: oh hey it could be worse you could have woody johnson
3: holy jimmy haslam was just coming off smelly like a bunch of roses right now and jimmy haslam got sued by warren buffett this week so he has actually probably had the best week out of uh mcdermott and uh and woody johnson and uh and tepper and Sala, he's had the best week of all of them. He only got sued for like $3 billion by Warren Buffett. Let's just move on. Playing Lieutenant
5: Rachel Torres is Denise Quinones. Now, Chico, do you have any information about her?
4: She is Miss Universe 2001, representing La Isla del Encanto, Puerto Rico.
5: Oh, representing Puerto Rico.
4: Ever since then, she was in Smallville, Freddy, and future entry Love Monkey. Love, love Monkey?
5: monkey. <laughs> what is Love Monkey?
4: It's a TV show about a manager of a musician played by Teddy Geiger.
3: You don't remember Love Monkey? No,
4: I remember I Love it. Monkey.
3: So do I! When did this air? 2006.
4: Oh, that explains it. Tom Kavanaugh was in it.
5: This was his big follow-up to Ed?
4: This was his big follow-up to Ed.
3: Wow. That's a shame. Looks like eight glorious episodes.
5: Okay, playing Agent Brigman, a U.S. agent who has been investigating the apparent resurfacing of people around Mercy Reef, who were lost in the Bermuda Triangle, is Rick Peters.
4: Best known for his role as Bobby Manning on Sue Thomas, FBI, and Elliot Larson in season four of Dexter. Oh, Sue
5: Thomas, FBI. That takes me back to the 2000s watching PAX.
4: Now that was a show that had network potential.
3: It's one of Pax's legacy shows.
5: Did Pax even have legacy shows? Let's be quite honest.
3: Well, I think you could say Sue Thomas FBI and maybe the couple of seasons of Supermarket Sweep they did and. Uh... Doc with Billy Ray. Okay, D- Doc is a good answer too, yeah. But I think the list ends right there.
5: It sure as hell wasn't the Ponderosa. Remember the Ponderosa?
4: The prequel to Bonanza. You don't shoot westerns in New Zealand. That's just wrong. But okay.
5: Playing McCaffrey. This, this is maybe the best name on this pilot. The one. The only. Ving Reigns. And you know he, what that
3: means. He has the meats. <laughs> yeah.
2: uh, we have the beats.
3: what else does that mean because I know you weren't going for the Arby's commercial aspect that silence tells me maybe you were going for the Arby's commercial aspect yeah oh I know what that means he's
4: the voice of the Arby's guy yeah I know
5: he's the voice of the Arby's guy
4: named after NBC journalist Irving R. Levine
3: Irving R. Levine? It's a bit of a deep dive, but that's really interesting. Am I the only one who knows who Irving R. Levine is?
4: No, I know who he is.
3: Yeah? I'm sorry. I just remember him as a very geeky-looking guy on the newscast back in, like, the 80s. I'm sorry to the family of Irving R. Levine. Now, time out.
5: This is the first time we can get an excuse to mention this on this podcast. But Vink Rames was Kojak in the Kojak reboot in the 2000s on USA. And you know what that means, guys. We're covering the Kojak reboot next year. All I gotta say is, who loves you, baby?
3: Did Vink Rames enjoy uh, lollipops?
5: Well, we're gonna find out next year. (laughs) Playing... Eva, Arthur's business partner, is Amber McDonald. Now, Chico, I don't have a Wikipedia page for Amber McDonald. So, do you have good old IMDB to help us?
4: I do. She was in two episodes of SVU and one episode of Smallville, and that was
3: it. Oh, darn. Well, there's more, but it's very minor stuff. But guys... Can you believe this? This is our
5: second DC pilot. And guess what? For the second time, we get to talk about Adrian Pilecki, because she's playing an evil siren named Nadia.
4: I buy that. She single-handedly killed the Orville. Oh, oh sorry. Damn it! Too soon.
5: Oh. Why'd you have to go there? Chico, next we have Arthur's mother, who we see briefly in the beginning
4: played by Daniela Walters best known for the lead role of Julie Connor on I want to say five seasons of Hang Time. oh, that's great, and you know what that means she's married to Jay Hernandez <laughs> she married her co-star
5: no, that's not it
4: oh, what's that?
5: We get an excuse to mention Reggie Theus again <laughs> on this podcast.
4: <laughs> and the one hey. week of Just Men. He was <laughs> and Dick Butkus. Are we not forget Dick Butkus?
5: That's true. And Steve Sachs. And Dusty Baker.
3: And I think we should add R.I.P. to Dick Butkus since he passed away about two months ago. Yeah.
5: Mm-hmm. Hey, folks. How about We talk about this pilot. But considering that I paid the $3 to watch this pilot, let's have Past Greg review this pilot while he's watching it. And then we'll come back here after I'm done with that. And then we'll come back and see why this didn't get on the air or go to series. So here's Past Greg, and we'll come back in about 45 minutes. The ocean. It's a place full of secrets, some are beautiful, some are dangerous. Its mysteries have baffled mankind for centuries. None more so than the Bermuda Triangle. But in order to understand the Triangle, you must understand my son. He was born in the darkest reaches of the sea. I had hoped to teach him the ways of the world, how to lead a good life and become a good man. But then, I was taken from him. Aquaman, opening titles. So we get the sequence on... The Chiron saying Bermuda Triangle 10 years ago. So this is roughly taking place, this opening sequence, around 1996. So we see Arthur Curry, or as he's known back then as Orin. He's looking out at the plane window, seeing a bunch of dolphins. We meet our uh, main characters here in the pilot. We see Tom Curry radioing to the plane was, of course, played by Lou Diamond Phillips, and we see Arthur's mother. He held his breath underwater for five minutes, Arthur. He manages to tell Tom Curry down below. He says it was the coolest thing ever. Kid, I don't know what to tell you. If you think holding your breath underwater for five minutes is the coolest thing ever, man, that is pretty... well. I mean, you are going to be the king of the sea, so... Maybe that is the coolest thing in your life. At least right now. Oh no! The plane is going, like, in weird directions! What's going on here? Oh! A big portal water thing came out of the sky! Oh, boom! Oh my god! Everything is going, like, horrible! And Tom's like... Is there, like, a storm? And the guy next to him's like, Nope, blue sky for 500 miles, so it guess this is the Bermuda Triangle and all the effects there, and, oh, the plane is it, hit by water, and it goes, like, down. And Arthur's mother is, like, drowning. Arthur's stuck. He has to go to the surface, his mother says. But she'll give him this, like, pendant thing. And she promises, I'll come back to find you. I promise. No. That's probably not going to happen. She's probably not going to find him. So Arthur's mother, she frees Arthur from the plane, like, go, and then bang on the plane. Arthur's mother kicks the emergency exit door off the plane while it's underwater, And Arthur is leaving. And then, up she's attacked by a sea monster, I guess? And the plane goes haywire. And, yep. That's it. That's how he gets separated from his mother, I guess. So, yeah, Arthur, he's just, like, floating in the water. When he's guided by, oh, there's some whales. Some whales are going to help. Arthur get back to the surface. I presume this whale might be a descendant of George and Gracie, maybe, from Star Trek four. I don't know. Oh, there's a bunch of whales. There's a whole bunch of whales. There's like dozens of whales helping Arthur get back to the ocean as he's calling for his mother. But dude, I know you lost your mother. I mean, Arthur, that's very bad. But you know what? You have... Like, a dozen whales as, like, your friends to help you get back to the surface, and they're blowing water out of their blowholes. Come on, that's got to keep you amused. I mean, after all, you were underwater for, like, five minutes, and you thought that was, like, the coolest thing ever. Well, now you have a dozen whales, and they're, like, blowing water out of their blowholes. That's got to be, like, the new coolest thing ever to you, right? I mean, yeah, I guess you lost your mother, and that kind of sucks, but hey dozen whales blowing water out of the bull holes. So now we're in present day Tempest Key, Florida in 2006. And now we see adult Arthur, played by the dreamy Justin Hartley, swimming with some fish, swimming with some sharks. Oh, there's a stingray. I mean, he is one with the ocean, so... Good thing that these sharks are not going to give Arthur, like, any trouble whatsoever. And he's got that pendant thing that his mom gave him. So that's pretty good. So Arthur lands on his boat, the Quint, when all of a sudden he's dragged out by the sheriff. And Arthur's like, what did I do this time? And the sheriff's like, well, it depends. Where were you at 10 o'clock last night? You didn't break into Neptune World and Free Five Dolphins. I was like, well, you got the wrong man. Oh yeah? Well, if you didn't break into what the heck is the, <laughs> the heck's the water park, let me just rewind back here real quick. <laughs> oh, Neptune World. Similar to, I guess, but not legally uh, Yeah, similar to, but legally distinct from SeaWorld. I don't know if the whole Sea World like whale stuff bring the whale stuff was like a Thing back in the mid-2000s. Maybe it was. I don't know. But yeah, the sheriff shows Arthur the pictures of him at Neptune World. It's like, oh yeah, any 10-year-old with a PC could have photoshopped those pictures. Well, that is true, Arthur. I bet you when they were getting those new Windows Vista laptops, the kids, they were making all sorts of photoshops. And the sheriff's like, look, AC, You're under arrest for breaking entering. And Arthur's like, I was just doing those dolphins like a favor in rescuing them. Jeff's like, yeah, well, I guess the world's full of misunderstood heroes. So Tom Curry has to bail his adopted son, Arthur, out of prison. And it's the third time this year it's happened. Oh, man. And Tom tells, look, no matter how many times you screw up and you're definitely going for the record here, I will always be your father. Well, anyways, I got to go to work. By the way, Arthur, it's been 10 years since your mom was disappearing over the Bermuda Triangle. And Arthur's like, yeah, when we were flying over the Bermuda Triangle, she was calling me Orrin. What was that about? She said she had so much to tell me. And Tom's like, didn't she also say do good with your life? I don't see you fixated on that. You should be at Stanford right now instead of being incarcerated. And Arthur's like, I'm not leaving Tempest Key until I find out what happened to my mom. And Tom's like, look, I miss your mother too, but you're not a kid anymore, so... You have so much potential, I don't want to see it going to waste. And Arthur's like, I'm very sorry. So I was like, if you're really sorry, you gotta pull your life together. Oh, well. Meanwhile, Arthur's business partner, Ava, is putting up A for sale sign. Inquire at the bank. And Ava says, rough night to Arthur. And Arthur's like, "Nah, the night was fine, but this day sure does suck. And Arthur's like, look, Ava, why are you putting a for sale sign over on my boat? And Ava's like, look, the boat is mine. And Arthur's like, look, I know you're still mad at me, but Ava says, there's something ironic about watching five cardiovas have a heart attack when you tell them, they are dive instructors in jail. And I was like, well, it was a holding cell and the plan was not to get arrested. Eva says, that's what you said when you slammed aboard that cruise ship and ran up the bar tab. I was like, look, it was a wedding. I got caught up in the moment. I bought everyone around. And for the record, the bridesmaids did say that my toast was incredibly romantic. Oh, that's so sweet. And Eva says, well, maybe one of them should have wired you the money to cover the bill. And I was like, Wait, you're not going to sell my boat. And he was like, look, you're my business partner. Why are you picking last night to go, like, Greenpeace on me and stuff? Or I was like, look, here's the reason why I freed those dolphins. Okay, do you want to know the real reason? It's because I felt like they were calling to me. And he was like, oh, Arthur, not this crap. You're saying that you can talk to fish now? Or I was like, no, dolphins are mammals. It was kind of more like a... Uh, empathy. A weird empathy. He was like, look, I got a friend at Dolphin Rescue. We can set up a legal defense fund. I was like, cool. That's cool. Good. So Arthur's is at the bar, and then Ving Rhames comes out, and he's like, getting tired of staring at these bottles. You want to pour me a drink? And Arthur's is like, well, it's a little early for happy hour, isn't it? And Ving Rhames like, Oh, you're Tom Curry's kid. I've seen you on Mercy Reef. And Arthur's like, I didn't know I had a fan club. And Ving Rhames says, You don't. We're in the lighthouse on Atlas Point. The gulls have nothing on my view. And Ving Rhames like, I remember the day your mother's plane went down. And Arthur's like, What? And Ving Rhames like, That cloud was Caribbean sky. God couldn't have painted a prettier picture. And then out of nowhere came the storm and Ving Rhames just takes a sip of his drink on the little pint glass and Arthur's like excuse me what'd you say about my mother and who are you and Ving Rhames is like my name's McCaffrey keep the change and right as Arthur's gonna grab the money McCaffrey says Arthur if you look hard enough into the deep, something is going to start to look back. Watch yourself. And Arf is like, Uh... Maybe I should listen to Vinger Aims here? Possibly? Maybe? So now we go to Mercy Reef, which is 25 miles off of Tempest Key. And we see, like, a guy... On like I, I don't know if it's like a oh it's a piece of shipwreck, and Tom's with the Coast Guard and he's gonna save this person that's been on the ocean. Tom's looking at the guy who's been shipwrecked and then he sees something on his neck and it's the same thing on his neck that Arthur has. And then the guy wakes up and he's like, they're coming. I m- must warn Orin." And Tom's like, all right, buddy. I can see what might have happened here. Maybe you, you were shipwrecked and you have a couple of drinks. No, no, he probably didn't have a couple of drinks. But, uh, okay, well, let's just take you to the hospital. All right, they're, so they're going to take this man with the same sort of necklace thing, the little seahorse thing that's on Arthur's neck. They're going to take this man to the hospital where he's going to be treated well. I guarantee you no shenanigans are going to happen with the shipwrecked man at the hospital. None whatsoever. So now we are at Tempest Key Naval Air Station where we are introduced to the character of Lieutenant Rachel Torres who is told that she is supposed to be flying over Mercy Reef where, obviously, a John Doe happened. They have no idea of this person, as her general is telling Rachel about everything. So, he explains to Rachel, like, we have no idea where this man came from. Just look over the reef and just see what you can find over there. So, Torres is flying over, and Arthur's, like, swimming and stuff, and all the planes going, like, haywire whatsoever, and Arthur sees it, and he's catching up to the plane, and then on Torres's radar, she, like, thinks that Arthur going fast is, like, a missile or something. And yeah, it's kind of freaky. And Torres is like, I'm just gonna go now circle around And then she sees the disturbance in the Bermuda Triangle. And Arthur's necklace seahorse thing is flashing. And up, there's like the water portal things from the Bermuda Triangle that happened to young Arthur when he was like 10 years old. And Torres has to like escape out of her plane with a parachute. Boom! The plane goes boom! And so Arthur rescues Torres... And takes her to the Tempest Key Hospital. So we're at the Tempest Key Hospital. And Torres recognizes Arthur. And is like, oh, it's you. And Arthur is like pouring Torres like a drink of water. And Arthur explains, yeah, the doctor said I could wait here until you woke up. He says, I hope the Navy doesn't have a you break it, you bought it policy. And Arthur asks, do you remember anything? And Taurus responds, Just a flash of light. And then I was flying through the water, and next thing I knew, you were carrying me! And we were both going, like, so incredibly fast. And is like, Yeah, when you're drowning, your brain loses some oxygen, and you start to see things that aren't real. So, I guess you should rest, maybe? And Taurus says to Arthur. Is this your way of saying that I'm crazy? Nerf was like, look, you're playing crash like 700 miles an hour. So I'm just going to reserve judgment until your painkillers wear off. Nerf was like, yeah, I better tell some of the nurses that you're awake. So I was like, wait a minute. What's your name? Nerf was like, it's not that important. But so I was like, you saved my life. It's important to me. It's A.C. Insert your own A.C. Slater saved by the bell joke here. So Arthur's like walking out in the hospital, just casually walking, walking down the hospital when all of a sudden the necklace glows again. And Arthur's looking at the side and he sees like a light coming out of a room. And he sees the man that was shipwrecked in the water. And he sees... He's got the glowing seahorse necklace thing. He's looking at the necklace. And the guy wakes up and he says, Orin, they know you're here. They know you survived. And Arf is like, Why did you call me that? And where'd you get that necklace? And the shipwrecked man's like, They're coming. For you. Arthur responds, who are you? But then he's, like, chastised by Agent Brigman and his handover people are going to take the shipwrecked man to somewhere where I don't know. Arthur's like, where are you taking him? Agent Brigman gives him, like, a bitch please look. And Arthur's like, I asked you a question. Where are you taking him? Agent Brigman just has his flip foam and he just says we got him and I was like huh I wonder what they're going to be doing with that guy who had the seahorse necklace thing that I have and then up oh, ladies and gentlemen 18 minutes and 40 seconds into this pilot and Adrian Pilecki has showed up in this pilot oh and then in the captioning, it says, intense music. Not to be confused with tense dramatic music in previous live show, Money Plane. When you see the closed captioning say, intense music, you know some serious stuff is about to go down here. So the shipwrecked man is, like, in a room with mirrors, and he's touching the mirror. And on the other side is the Agent Brigman. He says, when did he wake up? Five minutes ago. Has he displayed like violent tendencies or whatever like the others? And the doctor's like, nope. This is the file you wanted from the Navy archives. The dental records match the John Doe. Ensign Gus Thompson, member of Flight 19 that disappeared December 5th, 1945. Wait, 1945? Huh? So this man You're telling me that this man right here... This John Doe... Who was just discovered by Tom Curry... Out in the ocean... Has been... Missing... For... 61 years... My God... That... Is just... Insane... It is insane... And guess what... This man disappeared... Ensign Gus Thompson... In the Bermuda Triangle. And Agent Brigman says, Welcome home, Ensign Thompson. Where the hell have you been the last sixty years? Yeah, Agent Brigman, that's what I want to know. Where the hell has this man been for the last sixty years? But then we get something on the closed captioning back at the bar that says, Upbeat music! Yeah. And our first calling. The Coast Guard asking for Tom about the man who was rescued over at Mercy Reef, which he doesn't know was a man that's been missing for 60 years. And meanwhile, he's looking at a bunch of, like, fishermen who are, like, bragging about, oh, look at the size of this morlin!" And that makes Arthur so mad. It's like, oh, God, they're displaying this morlin. those sons of bitches. I want to beat somebody up. And Eva's like, no, I'm going to report their boat tomorrow to the fish and wildlife. And he's like, fines are not going to stop these guys. They have a Morlin. They probably have Billy the Morlin, the mascot of the Florida Morlins, like brother or something. And Arthur's like, I'm going to kick some ass over this Morlin. And Eva's like, look, AC kicking the crap out of a bunch of fishermen is only going to lead you back to jail. Okay? And Arthur's like, Goddamn fishermen with their marlin. And Adrian Pellecchi's like, It's amazing how cruel people can be. And Arthur Acey's like, Yeah, it just bothers me more and more that marlin should be hanging above some moron fisherman's fireplace. And it's like a trophy. Ugh. And Adrian Plucky's like, maybe, someday, the fish will get their revenge. And Arthur's like, I don't know, I think rednecks make pretty ugly trophies. Adrian Plucky's like, I'm Nadia. I heard you're pretty amazing under the water. And Arthur's like, well, if you'd like me to take you diving, I'm free tomorrow. And Nadia's like, I was hoping we could do something now. Like, right now. Oh, ho, 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 I see what's going on. Oh, ho, 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 ho. And so Arthur and Nadia, they're like swimming and stuff. And Nadia's like, we met a long time ago. And Arthur's like, hey, you sure about that? I think I definitely would have remembered you. And Nadia's like, let me refresh your memory. And she goes under the water. And like. Arva's like, Nadia? Where are you? You're like leaving me hanging out here. Nadia! And then, oh! Oh my god! She's the underwater sea monster that attacked her as mother from the beginning in 1996. And then McCaffrey's back. He's got, like, I don't know, one of those, like, I don't know, a bow and arrow thing. The the kind of thing that Van Helsing uses to scare Nadia the Sea Monster Witch Thing away. And McCaffrey's like, I hate these damn things. And Arthur's like, what the hell was she? McCaffrey's like, get your clothes on. We need to talk. So McCaffrey explains to Arthur that... Once a siren has you in her gaze, which is what Nadia is, there's nothing a man can do. And Arthur's like, oh, siren, of course. You act like you see them all the time. Cavalier's like, I've seen my fair share. Unfortunately, my aim is, like, a little rusty. And the only way to kill these scaly bitches is to nail them between the eyes. And let me point out, that is not my words, those scaly bitches... That is the exact words that Ving Rhames says about those damn sirens. So don't blame me. Blame Ving Rhames. Arthur then asks McCaffrey, Who are you? And McCaffrey says, I'm an exile, just like you and your mother. Exiled from where? It's called different names by different cultures. You probably know it by its most famous. Atlantis. Atlantis? Arthur's like, ha, 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 ha. Next time you're in Atlantis, could you say hi to Captain Nemo and the Little Mermaid for me? And Ving Rhames is like, look, you think I wanted this crap? Okay? And Arthur's like, yeah, you need to lay off, like, the sauce or whatever, because it's clearly gotten into your head. And McCaffrey's like, you can't run away from your true calling, Oren. And Orfair turns around and says, What the? Did you just call me? No, he didn't really say it like that, but you get the idea. So we're at the lighthouse. And Orfair's like, so let me get this straight. My parents were the rulers of Atlantis. So I guess technically that would make me a prince. And Orpher says to McCaffrey, you know... The fact that you can just say that sort of stuff with a straight face is kind of impressive. So, I'm going to ask you a question. Does Atlantis have a retractable roof, or does everyone swim around like a bunch of fish? No, I kind of think it just has like a regular-ass dome. And I guess everyone might swim around. It's not like the... Sky Dome, or Roger Center, as it's called now, and you can just retract the dome anytime you want, Arthur, and all, like, mermen and mermaids and sea creatures go swimming around whenever they want. No. No, it doesn't work that way, Arthur. Come on. McCaffrey's like, don't mock me. You think I don't know how absurd this crap sounds? But was it a joke when you saw that siren, huh? Huh? Nerf was like, okay, so if Atlantis exists, how come nobody has been able to detect Atlantis? And McCaffrey's like, because it's cloaked in a shroud no modern technology can even penetrate the Bermuda Triangle. Nerf was like, okay, I guess that kind of makes sense. McCaffrey's then says, Your father was a man of peace. There were others who wanted to rage war against the surface world, and your father resisted. And Arf was like, So, they killed him? Maybe? And now they want me dead, also? McCaffrey says, I managed to get you and your mother out. I knew the only place you would be safe was up here. We were found on Mercy Reef by a young Coast Guard lieutenant. And Harford's like, yeah, that was my pops. Oh, so he probably knows too. And McCaffrey's like, nope. Your mother insisted that we say absolutely nothing. She thought she could hide you from your destiny. Harford's like, yeah, well, what's my true destiny? McCaffrey says, to defend this world you've embraced on your own and protect the ocean from which you were born. So Harford's like, okay, so you want me to fight Sirens. And you want me to fight big oil. No, I'm not going to take this job. Ving Rames, you can find another person and just get out. I just don't want to bother. MacArthur says, you can't avoid your responsibility, Orin. It's in your bones. And you know it. MacArthur's like, give me a break. I'm just a simple dive shop owner. I'm not like the protector of the ocean and whatever. Gaver says, Destiny is like a riptide. Oh, wait. So, is Tom Bray going to be involved in this? I would love it. Is, no. No. Oh. Darn. So, Arthur and Eva are reading a book on Sirens, and Eva says, so this girl, Nadia, is actually like this killer mermaid who wants to take you out because you're some sort of underwater royalty and was like yeah and Eva's like well they always looked so friendly on the Starbucks cups and Arthur says well I didn't believe it, Eva until the siren tried to kill me she's coming back for me and Eva's like look I suggest like a road trip to the desert with a truckload of Evian and just forget about it And Arthur's like, Eva, I think this is the creature that attacked my mother. I have to face her. And Eva's like, are you sure you want to go with this? And Arthur goes, yeah, just close up shop, head out of town. I don't want you anywhere near this. What about you? And Arthur just looks at the ocean and says, I'm taking the Quinta Atlas point. McCaffrey's got weapons there and Eva says look there's a storm coming later tonight anyway so maybe I'll just go visit my sister over in Tampa and was like I'm sorry about all this crap and Eva's like well being friends with you has always required a leap of faith but maybe someday you'll make it up to me and give me a cool title like uh, I don't know like Duchess of the Deep or something equally as stupid the equally as stupid part was my words not hers so we're at an infirmary, and the shipwrecked person that's been missing for like 60 years wakes up, and you got tense music or whatever. He's taking a glass to drink, and up! Oh, siren! I don't know how you escaped from Midlands, but thank you for leading me to Orin. Ah! Oh, Adrian Pilecki has just killed the missing man for 60 years. Oh, man. Well, remember that agent man person? Well, now he's with Lieutenant Torres. It's good to see you back on your feet. Torres says, thank you, but I'm confused. I already went over the accident report. And Agent Brigman is like, I understand, but I'm the one who ordered you the mission. I wanted to brief you myself. And who exactly do you work for? Top Dog, Lieutenant, Commander-in-Chief. I was curious about that flash of light that you saw right before you lost control. And Torres says, Well, I was a bit disoriented. It could have been like a sun flare or something. And he's just like, I don't think you've lost your mind. You were flying over the Bermuda Triangle after all. Torres like, Look, sir, that's just the myth. He's like, I used to share that sentiment. I says, what changed your mind? Why don't I show you? Oh, I wonder what we're going to see here. And then the agent shows a picture of a man and says, Last year this man boarded an oil platform in the Gulf of Mexico and attempted to blow it sky high. He was killed before he succeeded. His name was Evan Corday. He disappeared along with his yacht." Off the coast of Bermuda on july sixth, nineteen oh five. Oh, there's this picture of him Like in nineteen oh five. I didn't know photography was like so good back then in nineteen oh five. And Torres like, it's impossible. It must have been descended or somebody looked exactly like him. But Brigman's like, I agree with you. Except the fingerprints, they matched perfectly. And he's not the first one that's come back from the Bermuda Triangle. So like, why? Well, that's what Project Novus is here to find out. And I want you to join us, Lieutenant Torres, and help us unlock the mysteries of the Bermuda Triangle. So was like, look, I'm just a pilot. I don't know what I could bring to this. And the agent's like, you have more experience than any of us. You witnessed something extraordinary out there, and you live to tell the tale. I don't believe you could be taken out of the blue by some stupid sunflare or a freak mechanical failure. So I was like, I joined up to fly jets and serve my country, not chase these stupid windmills. And Brigman's like, this isn't a fool's crusade, it's a matter of national security. If you don't believe this, let me show you. Oh my god, there's boxes and boxes full of files of people who have vanished in the Bermuda Triangle. For all I know, this could be like the room at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the Ark of the Covenant is being held. It has a similar vibe to that. Agent Brigman says, They are M.I.A.'s in an invisible war. And Tempest Key is the front line of this invisible war. And then his flip phone rings and he says, Yeah. Yeah. I, what? Well, I'll be right there. And then he says to Torres, "If you want to see how real this crap is, come and join me and see what's going on here." And then they're walking out to the facility where the shipwrecked man was being kept. And oh man, they see he got stabbed to death by Adrian Palecki. Ugh, not good. Oh, there's the necklace. Why didn't Adrian Pilecki get the necklace? I don't get it. That should have been the first thing she took with him after she killed the guy. But okay, we're back at the bar. Arthur and Eva, they're closing the bar in, trying to protect it from this storm, trying to make sure it doesn't get underwater or whatever. So the thunder, It's rumbling. Eva says once you've taken care of business with this siren person we should talk to the bank about a loan to upgrade to your boat and then the power's out oh no this storm has probably blown out all the power but Arthur thinks wait it's probably the circuit breaker the lights are still on over at Captain Jack's and oh they're gonna check out the power here so, is gonna try to fix the power right here. And, oh! Oh, dramatic music! Oh! No! Nadia! The f- siren bitch has just stabbed Eva! Oh, God! oh, Good night forever, Orin! Ah! Slap! That's all Adrian Pellecchi does to... Justin Orpher, he does a simple little slap and she just grabs the necklace oh so that explains why she didn't go up to the shipwrecked man's necklace she wanted just Arthur's necklace specifically I guess cause I don't know maybe it has like more power since I mean he is the future ruler of Atlantis Arthur so now we're on the sea on the Quint and oh no Adrian Plucky has tied up Vingraims and Arthur. So now we're on the quintin. Nadia has tied up both Arthur and McCaffrey. And Arthur's like, Ugh! He sees a picture of him and Eva and he's like, Eva! McCaffrey says, I'm sorry about your friend, but I'm more concerned about your life right now. And Arthur sees McCaffrey like, Wait, she got you too? Huh? Dramatic music! And, uh, going over a tidal wave. And, like, Nadia the siren is just carrying them, like, by her own self, because she's a damn siren on this damn boat. And Arthur's like, where's she taking us? But Gabriel says, home, to Atlantis, to be executed. Arthur's like, why hasn't she gutted us already? You're a symbol of hope, Orin. If they kill you, that hope dies, too. And Arvus is like, well, then I need some water. McCaffrey's like, my flask, it's in my boot. And so Orvis is crawling to McCaffrey is trying to get that flask. Like, Ugh. he grabs the flask. McCaffrey's like, smash it! And he smashes the flask. And
4: it's like,
5: Ugh. and then the, oh, the necklace it glows. And then a beam comes, like, right out of the sky. And now, Arthur's free. He frees McCaffrey. He's like, what do we do to take her down? We aren't doing anything. You're gonna get off this boat. No! That thing took my mom. And she attacked my friend. I'm not going anywhere until she's dead. McCaffrey's like, I promised your father on his dying breath to help you. I'm not breaking my word now. And so, do you have any weapons... And McCaffrey goes, Nadia! And so Nadia gets back onto the boat. Does like a landing. uh, oh, superhero landing. Like in Deadpool. And so Nadia opens the door. McCaffrey uses the harpoon thing. And she says, Your aim's gotten better. And oh, she just stabs McCaffrey right in the leg. And she's like, Where is Orin? And... Ving Raves, as only Ving Raves can do, says, Rotten hell, you scaly bitch. Oh, that's fantastic. And then he stabs him in the upper leg and is like, Now where is Orrin? And then Arthur does a superhero landing of his own and is like, I'm right here. And up, fight. Punch, punch. Some stuff on the boat breaks. Screech. Ugh, ugly ass teeth. Kick. Your mother can't protect you this time. What'd you do to her? (laughs) Ha You'll find out. And then McCaffrey grabs the little thing. And McCaffrey goes, Orin! Throws it to him and... Dabs her right in the forehead! And is like, not today! Boom! Necklace goes flying back in. Arthur grabs the necklace. Looks at it. Oh, man. He just stares at the necklace. McCaffrey says, well done, Orin. Your father would have been proud. And they both look right out into the sea as some instrumental music plays. So Eva's being treated at the hospital and Arthur says, while she's unconscious and looking at her room, I'm sorry, Eva. Meanwhile, back at the file full of stuff at the Bermuda Triangle, Brigman looks at a box that says... Farewell 1936 Club Havana and it's Lieutenant Torres? And we hear a voiceover from the agent flashing back to when he said how much do you remember Lieutenant Torres? So I guess is the implication that she's like from the 1930s and she was previously pulled out from the Bermuda Triangle and doesn't remember? I... I guess? Or maybe it's around... I... I I don't know. So yeah, Arthur is back at the lighthouse, and well, everything's saved, I guess. But McCaffrey says to him, that siren was just the beginning. There are creatures in this deep that you couldn't imagine your worst nightmares. And Arthur says, well... I guess that's reassuring, so whatever. McCaffrey says, I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm here to prepare you for the worst. We should have started your training years ago. Well, let's start now. Let's do it. I'm ready. McCaffrey's like, look. I got your birthday gift. Look. It's like a book with, like, map wrapping paper on it was like, yeah, I kind of figured it's a book. It's not really much of a reader. Hertha's like, look, just open the stupid book. Unwrap it, just look at it. Oh, Henry Fourth, parts 1 and 2. I know Shakespeare was into sequels. Hertha says, I expect for you to have read that by the next week. I gave up book reports in 6th grade. That's part of your training. Well, when I thought you meant training. I thought you meant, like, wielding the tridents and doing all sorts of cool... St- Look, Barfer, just forget it. Like, that'll come, like, later. Like, much later. But there's plenty of sex and violence in that book. You'll probably have a good time, for reading that book. And was like, well, couldn't you just give me, like, the Cliff Notes version? And just tell me how this story ends? Because I don't want to read it. McCaffrey's like, the lesson isn't in the ending, Orin. It's in the journey. And Arthur looks at the book, and then we get a shot of him looking out into the ocean by the lighthouse. And that's your pilot, everybody. All right. So let's get back to future Greg, along with Mike and Chico, as they take you through the rest of this pilot and why this never got picked up. Back to you guys. Okay, we're back, folks. Thank you, past Greg.
3: Hey, Greg. Yeah. How'd you get a hold of the TARDIS that Chico had a few weeks ago? Well, I lent it to him. Well, how did you get it? Because you didn't just like buy one. I thought you borrowed it from Ed Begley.
4: You don't need to know that.
5: (laughs) 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 Hold on. Time out. If you watched the last Doctor Who special, which just came out today on Disney Plus, as we're talking about that. There's your answer right
4: there. Okay, true story. I was at a function in Winston-Salem. Somebody was bringing up the toy maker. I literally said, hey, I haven't seen it yet. Spoilers. I didn't know Neil
5: Patrick Harris looked like Batman's butler. Do you think Neil Patrick Harris had like Batman cereal waiting for the
3: doctor? Is that why you used Batman cereal in a conversation with me before the show?
5: No. Oh, no. On. Oh,
3: my gosh, no. So this is the second time, unprovoked, you brought up Batman cereal to me today. Oh Okay, my God. let me tell you the first
5: instance. I'm sorry we're not talking about why the Aquaman pilot didn't sell, but listen, we'll get to that later. We have more important stuff we need to talk about right now. I need to talk about the first instance today Why I mentioned to Mike about Batman Cereal. Because when I was driving home today, I was listening to the Omnibus podcast about legal baby names. And you know what I said to Mike? I said, Mike, if I had to legally change my name, you know what I'd change it to? Batman Cereal.
3: Now, the one thing that listeners don't know That's sort of a running joke the last five years. It goes back to the uh, quiz apps uh, that we used to play, the HQ and and stuff like that. And one day we were watching Supermarket Sweep, I believe, and they had, in the opening, you know, they say, well, who's got the surf laundry detergent? Okay, you're on. Who's got the Heinz ketchup? You're on. Well, one time they're like, who's got the batman cereal you're on and we just all lost it and uh th- there is a while that if not the uh, greg and me include chico in this possibly being like use batman cereal as our icon for some of the games no 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 when we played hype sports I thought it was more than just Hype Sports, but it was definitely Hype Sports, yes. Sports,
5: hype Sports. <laughs> we have our avatars on the winter section be Batman
2: cereal.
3: <laughs> Good times. Good prosperous times. Hey,
5: what do you think Mike and Brun are doing these days from Hype Sports?
3: Mike Janela's counting his little bit of Jeopardy winnings he had. No, not thousand.
5: Mike Janella did reward the fans, silly. Oh,
3: well, f*** him. Um,
5: don't you dare talk about Mike Janella like that.
4: Don't <laughs> Mike you, Janella <laughs> is a real man of Jeopardy, good sir.
5: He's an orange screen host at City Field, damn it. You do not talk that way about Mike Janella. You put Janella. some
3: respect on that name. I will not stand
5: for that, Mike.
3: So what are they doing nowadays? Probably like a nine to five or something like that. Hey, Nathan Zagura now, who used to do reward the fan, the sports games. He's actually like a sideline reporter for the Browns and actually does one of the Sunday morning shows, uh, one of the pregame shows, the local pregame shows for the Browns games. Oh. He still sucks, though. Yeah, well.
4: I wonder what Allie Hernandez is up to right now.
5: I think, doesn't she work for the Long Island Nets? I think she's still doing the Long Island Nets. But anyways, I don't want to talk more about Bailed quiz apps and Batman serial. Chico, how about we get to why this pilot didn't get sold? Because you'd think, okay, Smallville, it's a big hit. Surely this show is going to be a big hit, but there was a problem. When we talked about previous episode Pepper Dennis, the same problem happened with this. What was happening in 2006? In
4: 2006 the WB was getting ready to merge with UPN to form the CW. And discussing the excitement surrounding the project, Lou Diamond Phillips, he said, the funny thing about the Aquaman project is that there's so much buzz about it already, which is amazing. I mean, you don't usually get that with a pilot because they're sort of sight unseen.
5: For you to Truth By Consensus Wikipedia, This was a front-runner to get picked up for the CW. However, when they announced their lineup for their first season as the CW in 2006, it was not on the fall schedule. However, it was a possibility that it could be around in mid-season. And the producers wanted the pilot released so people could see it. So, it was released... On the iTunes store. In July of 2006. And within a week. It was. One of the most downloaded shows. On the iTunes store. In fact it reached number one. And then. It was released on Xbox Live. Video Marketplace in March of 2007. Oh man. I'm really dating myself here. Xbox Live Video Marketplace. And it aired on YTV. YTV on June 9th, 2007 on their Superhero Saturday block and Warner Home Video in association with Best Buy released the pilot as a promotional DVD on November 11th, 2007 bundling it in Smallville season sets and you could even find it as a bonus feature on the DC Universe animated Blu-ray of Justice League crisis on two Earths. But unfortunately, when mid-season 2007 came around, Aquaman was not on the schedule.
3: I wonder if this was released to iTunes and the Xbox Video Marketplace, like you mentioned, to not just let people see what the pilot was about, but also to recoup some of the money that was spent on the pilot, because IMDB says the budget on this pilot was $7 million. What? I'm not joking. It says here, estimated budget, $7 million. For a pilot? I'm just saying what IMDB is saying. Yes, not $700,000, not a million, $7 million. Now, since you've seen it, does the CGI, the, the graphics, the, the any sort of visuals actually say $7 million pilot? Or do you think possibly some money went to the uh, people in front of the camera? I don't think Ving Rhames is necessarily terribly expensive, but who knows? Maybe. He's not $7 million I, expensive, though. No. I
5: watched this, and truth be told, I mean, I looked at the special effects, and I would say, it looked like your average Smallville episode at the time.
3: That wouldn't be anywhere near $7 million, I would assume. No. So here are
4: the shows that were picked up for the CW. Sunday was 7th Heaven in the middle of a repeat sandwich. Monday you had Everybody Hates Chris, All of Us, Girlfriends, and The Game. Tuesday, you had Gilmore Girls, Veronica Mars, and Pussycat Dolls presents the search for the next doll. What? Back when the Pussycat Dolls were a thing.
5: I do remember when the Pussycat Dolls were big, but...
4: And back when we didn't know what we know now about Robin Antin. Yeah. Okay, Wednesday night. Wednesday was America's Next Top Model, Beauty and the Geek. One Tree Hill, and something called Hidden Palms. What is that? It is a teen drama created by Kevin Williamson, which ran eight episodes. Yeah, well, it was the mid-2000s. The Kevin Williamson
5: magic was long gone by then.
4: But hey, gave us early Leslie Jordan. Oh, that's great. Okay, Thursday night. Thursday was Smallville and Supernatural. Now, Friday is
5: SmackDown, and did they have anything for Saturday night? No. Okay, well, this wasn't when they were airing ACC football randomly on Saturdays.
4: So my guess is there was a choice between Hidden Palms and Aquaman or Hidden Palms and Runaway and Aquaman, because Runaway was another midseason show that got picked up. Or maybe it was between
5: Pussycat Dolls and Aquaman. And somebody at the CW was like, Okay, we got Pussycat Dolls and we got Aquaman. You need to have Pussycat Dolls or
4: Aquaman. If they knew then what we know now about Robin Anson. But if they knew then what
5: we know now about Justin Hortley, that would make the choice a lot easier.
4: And we may have gotten five or maybe three decent seasons of This Is Us, and two, what in God's name are you doing seasons of This Is Us. That's the pilot, I guess. It is still available on iTunes, if I'm not mistaken.
5: Greg bought it! Oh my gosh! I bought it! Oh my gosh! This is the goldfish memory pack. I bought it. You bought it on Google Play! I no, it on... he bought
3: it on iTunes.
5: No, oh, I bought okay. it on Google Play for $3. You forgot to. I mentioned it in the beginning of the show. I no, mentioned... I thought I thought you said
3: iTunes.
5: No, I bought it on Google Play for three bucks. I specifically mentioned this.
3: Okay, so Greg's apparently the only person on this show that has something besides the memory of a goldfish. I swear you said iTunes.
4: It was released on iTunes and Xbox and Google Play. And So far as we know, they're all still there. So, I guess if you want to recoup Warner Brothers' money on this, just
5: pay $3 for it on iTunes or Google Play. Maybe Xbox Video Marketplace is still around. It probably isn't on PlayStation Store anymore because they're getting rid of all the Warner Brothers Discovery content. I'm sorry, folks. You can't watch Sex Sent Me to the ER if you bought it on the PlayStation. I'm
3: sorry, Oh damn it, my night's ruined. Well, and there now, goes my weekend.
5: Now you can't watch Sex Set Me to the ER on your PS4 anymore. Well, it's still on Discovery+, Plus, so you can watch it there, I guess.
3: And it reruns often enough on Discovery Life.
5: What else can we say about the 2006 Aquaman pilot? Well, before we got Momoa, we got Justin Hartley. But this was, in 2006, a thing on your iPod. But also, it was a thing on TV. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. But don't forget, you can always go to itwasathingontv.com. We can listen to the 435 episodes that preceded this one. And we got all sorts of great bonuses there, including minisets, live shows, Extended versions of previous episodes, everything and remember we are on all social media including Instagram threads and Mastodon over it was a thing on TV except for Facebook we are it was a thing on TV Podcast. and remember if you want to follow us on Mastodon, search for us at it was a thing on TV at TV and remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed either at Apple Podcasts tune in iHeartRadio. You name it, we're there. And don't forget, we're on YouTube where you can like and subscribe to our channel and don't forget to hit the notification bell on YouTube to be informed of all future uploads on the channel, including what is coming up on this podcast. Next week, well, we continue our look at Aquaman and hype it up with another show similar two, but this time legally distinct from Aquaman and guys we get an excuse to talk about Patrick Duffy next week so you know what that means
3: guys we're gonna talk about bingo America
4: we're gonna talk about Bobby in
3: the shower
5: oh we're gonna talk about step-by-step silly (laughs) that's always the correct answer
3: in your mind
5: I didn't know Bingo America was that important to you,
3: Mike. It's not important to me, but it's something that's on uh, Patrick Duffy's CV. I'm not going
4: to disparage a fellow Buddhist. But we have,
5: on our second episode, the viewer's choice episode. Well, you picked it, and we won't announce it, but you'll find out who won.
3: Okay, we all know it's Briscoe County Junior. Just tell us. No, no, no. It's that puppet game show. No, it's going to be Briscoe County Junior. I don't have any faith in that puppet game show.
5: No, well, we haven't tabulated the votes yet. Let's just disclaim it right here. But But we know
3: it's going to be Briscoe
4: County (laughs) Junior. No, it's going to be Al Gore. The winner is going to be Al Gore. Damn those hanging chads. Voting's hard.
5: Listen, Sarah still has a chance if Mike Pence has the courage. (laughs) But you'll find out more about who won that and about Patrick Duffy next time, right here on It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you with those episodes next week. Wow. During the Christmas season, Santa sends an elf to every child's home to see if they're being naughty or nice. All day they watch their child, never blinking and never moving, and each night they return to the North Pole to
8: report back to Santa.
2: Ho, ho, ho! Welcome back, elves on shelves! I hope you've all been keeping a good eye on your children.
8: Yes, Santa!
2: (laughs) Wonderful! Dottie, how has little Elizabeth been this year?
7: She's been a very good girl, Santa. She's listening to her parents and doing her chores.
2: Splendid! And how is little Matthew, Deedlepeep?
8: Well, he didn't want to eat his vegetables at dinner. Oh, no! But then he did, And he liked them.
2: Hooray! And what about young Marshall, Scrabby?
8: I want a new kid, Santa.
2: But why? You've been watching Marshall for 13 years.
8: Things have changed this year. He figured out he could do a certain thing with his body. Now he won't stop doing it.
7: Would be very naughty indeed
8: no this is definitely a solo activity <laughs> considering i can't close my eyes i have no choice but to watch him and you know he does do it a lot
6: Hmm.
2: well is what he's doing naughty or is it nice it's
8: not really
1: <laughs> that's
8: silly strategy all elves know that everything humans do is either naughty or it's nice this isn't so black and white, D.O.B. It's just a thing that humans learn how to do, and then they go insane for a while, and they do it nonstop. Please, Santa, can I have another kid?
2: Uh, but Marshall loves you, Scrabby.
8: I know. But sometimes he looks at me when he's doing it, and I think he's trying to make me a part of it.
2: Well, lucky you, Scrabby. Now, what does each of your children want for Christmas this year?
8: A train set. A new soccer ball. I want to say.
2: <laughs> oh, Scrabby, certainly Marshall wants something from Santa. Let's see what's on my list. Oh, Scrabby, you spelled flashlight wrong.
8: I wish that were the case.
2: Well, is there anything else he wants?
8: Can I, mean, I get some soft socks? <laughs>
2: oh, 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 oh. Well, then he shall have the softest socks in the lab.
8: We're not gonna stay that way, Santa. <laughs> Scrabby, it sounds like you don't like Marshall anymore. No, no, I do. Just... 13 is a confusing age. Whatever do you mean? I don't... I don't know. He, likes he, he, like, looks at his body, and he has, like, his, his little boobies. And he, and he squeezes real hard, you know, like, because he hates them and he's mad at him. He's like, ugh, go away!
3: Oh, my, that's odd. Yeah.
8: Can I, yeah, listen, can I please have another kid?
2: Oh, I think I know what's happening. You're upset he's growing up.
8: Oh, he grew up, Santa. That's dumb. Don't be sad, Scrabby. Every kid stops believing in a Sunday, but then they have kids of their own? And the magic starts again. I don't know if Marshall will have anything left in the bank by then.
2: Well, I can't wait to visit all your children and bring them Christmas cheer. Yeah, well, just
8: make a lot of noise when you get to it Marshall's room. He'll stop for a few seconds if he hears something.
2: Oh, Scrabby, you are a silly elf. Now back to your children. <laughs>
5: Now I want to share a few one of my favorite comments was right here. The fact they found an elf costume that fit Jason's six foot four body is crazy. LOL.
3: No, it's not. I found elf costumes in my size and well, I'm about an inch shorter, but also probably what 30, 40 pounds bigger than him. And my 30-40 oh. pounds bigger than him is not muscle. It's tacos. <laughs>